Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. While you are turning, go back into the depths of your memory, way, 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 way back. And I usually can't remember a week ago. Do you remember what you got for Christmas last year? No, no. For some reason, I can remember. I got three main things. Got a pair of compression socks so that my shins wouldn't hurt when I run. I got a poofy green jacket that I just love. It's light, it's warm, it's fantastic. And I got a Garmin Forerunner 910 XT. A what, you say? There's a bigger picture up there. A Garmin Forerunner 910 XT. This is a watch specifically designed for triathletes. It's a watch that does everything somebody who does those three sports would want. It tells you how far you've gone. It tells you how fast you've gone. It tells you the pace you've gone. It tells you how many strokes you've taken in the pool and how far and how fast you've gone in the open water and the rivers and all that. It tells you everything. That one doesn't tell you time, but it tells you everything else. Now, what would I use that for? Seems like a, a, a dumb question. I mean, obviously, I use it to train, I use it to race, but that's not what I'm getting at. What do I use it for? Wow, I didn't expect answers today. (laughs) The time I ask for answers, I don't get them. The time I don't. Guidance, measurement. One could argue, one could argue that I use that watch for the glory of God. You see... um, A watch like that, other people in the triathlon community will look and they'll say, oh, very good. The triathlon community, it's it's an interesting community. They they train a lot on Sundays. train a lot on Saturdays. They train a lot every other day. But you don't really see them in the doors too much on a Sunday. When they race, it's usually on Sundays. Um, They are a, a selfish people. And I'll talk more about that in a little bit. Well, the watch like that, I would argue that maybe I get to be more accepted into this triathlon community and thus have conversations about triathlon, but also have conversations about Jesus. So it's a tool, it's a method, it's a way in. One could argue that. Now, one could also argue that I use it for the, the exact thing I just described the, the uh, triathlon community to be, selfish. One could argue that I use it for strictly selfish motives. Tracking swims by myself. Tracking bike rides by myself. Tracking runs, say it with me, by myself. Yes, yes. A watch like this. For someone who has the potential to be self-focused, who has the potential to be very inwardly driven. I will spend somewhere between 300 and 500 hours training for just one race. So a watch like this could lead me to time away from family. It could lead me to time away from quality work at church if I come exhausted from training and I can't put in good time here. A watch like this, especially for someone like me, has the potential to add to an idol. has the potential to be used strictly for selfish motives. So when I ask, what do I use this watch for? It's a genuine question. Do I use it for the glory of God, to love God and love others more, or do I use it for the glory of me? Let 
What do you use your guys' gifts for? How do you use them? How will you use them? I ask these questions this morning as we continue with our journey through Advent in the Exodus. Let's pray. God, this morning, we definitely want to hear from you. And we ask that uh, you would open our ears, our eyes, our hearts to the things you want us to hear, to the things you want us to see, to the things you want us to feel. Lord, we ask that at the end of our time in the Word, that we would have experienced a time with the living God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been on this journey that we're calling Advent in the Exodus, this Advent season, and we're seeing how there is Advent in the story of the Exodus. So far, we have joined the Israelites in their cry for a deliverer. We have focused our own cry this season, our groaning to God to send Jesus again. That was week one. Last week, we saw the very first Christmas lights, and I said they were in the Bible, in the ceremony of illumination during the Festival of Shelters. If you remember, this is when Jesus inserted himself in the story of the Exodus. The the Festival of Shelters was a time the Israelites remembered their wandering in the desert following this light, this pillar of light, God in the light. And we saw Jesus say, look, I am the light that leads to life. That light, if you follow it, will keep you out of the darkness. And out of darkness like the ninth plague. We mentioned that last week too. This week we return again to the story of the Exodus and we get to see what the Israelites did with their gifts. We get to see what they did with their gifts. So you know the story. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. They cried out for a deliverer. God sent Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Pharaoh, it took a little convincing, 10 plagues, nine of which was dark. The ninth was darkness. And the 10th was the death of the firstborn of every, in every household. Firstborn male in every household. Except the houses with the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. So Exodus chapter 12 Verse 29 and following. That night, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn son of the prisoner in the dungeon. Even the firstborn and all his officials, excuse me, even the firstborn of their livestock were killed. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the people of Egypt woke up during the night and a loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. There was not a single house where someone had not died. What a terrible night that must have been. I mean, it was the last straw for Pharaoh. He finally decided, okay, you guys, you guys can go. He let God's people go, and, and what a scene that must have been. Back in Exodus 12, verse 31. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. Go, but bless me as you leave. And all the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought we will all die. The Israelites took their bread dough before yeast was added. 
They wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks, and they carried them on their shoulders. Yeah, are you picturing this? Jump down to verse 37. That night, the people of Israel left Ramses and started for Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men, plus all the women and children. Verse 40, the people of Israel had lived in Egypt for 430 years. In fact, it was on the last day of the 430th year that all the Lord's forces left the land. On this night, the Lord kept his promise to bring the people out of the land of Egypt. Chapter verse 51, on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt like an army. Think about this. 430 years of slavery, oppression. I, I can't imagine that the departing Israelites had very much stuff, right? I mean, the text says that they had some cloaks, some kneading boards. I, I would assume a shepherd's staff or two to, to guide the flocks. But I wouldn't think they had much in terms of material wealth. You think? Well, that all changed as they were leaving. Verse 34 through 36, same chapter still. The Israelites took their bread dough before the yeast was added. They wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders. And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. And the Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. Clothing, silver, gold, stripping the Egyptians of the wealth, the text says. These were gifts, one could say, by the people who held them captive, compelled by God to give gifts on their way out of town. Think with me to the middle of, middle of April, okay? Us today, we get our tax return. What are you feeling? Don't say it out loud, okay? Think with me to November. When your boss pulls you into the office for the year-end review and says, you know what, you deserve a raise. Think with me way back to when you were just out of college, maybe a newlywed, maybe single. You're trying to pay the bills, trying to pay the rent. You can barely make ends meet. And your uncle comes into town and says, hey, can I crash at your place? Well, you give up your bed. You sleep on the couch. He's so impressed by your hospitality that he cuts you this very large check, unexpected, a large financial gift. Any of those, you're thinking to yourself the same thing I'm thinking. It's like Christmas in July. Woo! I wonder if that's what the Israelites thought. It's like Christmas. Well, of course they wouldn't think that. Of course. They didn't know what Christmas was. They knew it was coming. Here's what they did know. One day they woke up slaves with next to nothing. That night as they're walking out, they have anything their heart wishes. They are loaded. So what did they do with their gifts? That's the question we're going to ask today. What did they do with their gifts? There was no 7-Eleven on the way out of town to stop and buy sodas and Doritos. Okay? They could not gas up their camels. In all honesty, as much as the men would want to stop by K Jewelers and buy their wives a gift, hey, sorry, I couldn't afford it for the last 430 years, they didn't have to because they had all the jewelry in Egypt. So what did they do with their gifts? Interesting, as you look at the story of the Exodus, I found two things, two things that they used their gifts for. One could be said was extremely selfish, and the other pointed to God. 
We're going to look at both of those, okay? Journey with me from Exodus chapter 12 to Exodus chapter 32, where the Israelites gain, you know, after they gain all this wealth. In between those chapters, 20 chapters, a lot happens. There's the miraculous escape in the middle of the night. We saw that last week. There's a song of deliverance, there's bitter water, there's manna, there's quail, there's Jethro, there's God on Mount Sinai, and there's God giving instructions, regulations to Moses while on Mount Sinai. There's the Big Ten, there's use of altars, fair treatment of slaves, protection of property, dedication of priests. All these instructions were given to Moses while he was on top of Mount Sinai. You can see that in Exodus 25. In fact, you know, he was up there for a long time, so long that the people of Israel, whom God had just recently miraculously saved from slavery, Moses was up there so long that the people started, well, they started thinking about themselves. They started focusing inwardly. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. You see what happened? Their thoughts turned inward. They started focusing only on themselves. Come on, Aaron, make us some gods who who we can claim led us out of Egypt. Forget Moses. What about us? So what did Aaron do? Chapter 32, verses 2 to 4. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What did Aaron do? He told the people, bring me the gifts you got in Egypt. Where else would they have gotten earrings? 430 years of slavery. Where else would they have gotten earrings for themselves, for their wives, for their sons, for their daughters? Back in Exodus 12, verse 35 is what I would say. Because the Egyptians gave them clothing, silver, and gold. So what did they do with those gifts? I'm saying selfishly, they watched their spiritual leaders succumb to their own whining about, we want something to bow down for us. We want something that we can worship. All the while, Moses is up on the mountain talking with God. You see the selfishness there? I see it. Now, it took a bit for Moses and Aaron and the people of God to recover from this act of selfishness. Interesting story. Read read the entire uh, chapter of Exodus 32 on your own. You're going to see that it was not a fun moment in the history of the Israelites. It was not a good part of their story. So here, what, what did the Israelites do with those gifts? In the instance we just saw, they used them solely for selfish and sinful purposes. Now there was another instance, though. In another instance, they used the gifts they got for the glory of God. Remember, Moses was up on the mountain for a long time, and he was getting instructions from God. One of those instructions from God was to build a tabernacle, a place where God's presence could be amongst the people, a place where they could experience God in the desert. Exodus chapter 25, verse 8 and 9, this is what God told Moses. He said, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly to the pattern that I show you. 
Okay, build a tabernacle. With what materials? Did God say, hey, on your way in the suburbs of Mount Sinai, stop by Lowe's or Home Depot? No. Right before you get to the Jordan, there's a Ziggy's just to the left. Go ahead and stop in there. What did they use to build this tabernacle, to furnish it? Where did the supplies come from? Exodus 25, verse 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. Accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. Have the people bring me what is needed. Essentially what I hear God saying is, have the people bring the gifts that I made sure they had when they left Egypt to supply my temple. So what happened? The people gave. And boy, did they ever give. Exodus chapter 35. Listen, listen carefully for the things they gave. So the whole community, Exodus 35 verse 20, the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. All whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle, for the performance of its rituals, and for the sacred garments. Both men and women came, and all whose hearts were willing, they brought to the Lord their offerings of gold, gold brooches, earrings, rings from their fingers, and necklaces. They presented gold objects of every kind as a special offering to the Lord. Now, all those who owned the following items, this is verse 23, willingly brought them blue and purple and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair for cloth, and tanned ramskins and fine goatskin leather. And all who had silver and bronze objects gave them as a sacred offering to the Lord. And those who had acacia wood also brought it for use in this project. The list includes silver, gold, Threads that could have come from clothes that could have been given when they left Egypt. Boy, did the Israelites ever give. They gave so much they had to be asked to stop giving. You see that in Exodus 36. I won't read the entire thing, but verse 3 through 7. The workers, they came to Moses and they said, The people have given more than enough materials to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses had to send out an email to the entire camp and said, Don't don't bring any more. We've got enough. So the people stopped giving. You see what's happening here? The people of God are using the gifts that they were given in Egypt for the glory of God. They're, given, they're using the gifts they were given to allow for a place to meet God, to allow for a place to point to God. You know, as angry as God was going to be in a couple of chapters with the whole golden calf incident, I think he had to smile when their generous hearts were like, Lord, you gave us this stuff. We'll just give it right back. Did the uh, the wandering Israelites always get it right? No. But this time, man, did they ever get it right. Using the gifts they got, clothing, silver, and gold, for selfish purposes or for pointing towards the glory of God. Let's move forward several hundred years to the birth of Jesus, to the advent, the coming of the king. We know that since we've seen the last two weeks uh, a text that Jesus, when he was born, or within a couple of years of that after the wise men found him, we know that he also was given gifts. Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 to 11. After this interview, the wise men went their way. 
The star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests, their Christmas gift bags, and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were high-end gifts. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. Gifts that would have been worth a lot of money back then. Gifts that are still expensive today. So what did Jesus do with them? What did his family do with them? Well, we know that God told, told Joseph, you're going to need to flee to Egypt because uh, Herod's trying to kill your baby. So did Joseph take that gold bar, take it to the local car dealership, upgrade his family donkey to a two-and-a-half-seater camel? Before they left, did they throw a party where they invited their friends, plug in the Scentsy warmer, put the frankincense in there, just so when their friends came over, the house wouldn't smell like barn? I heard rumor once that Moses opened, or not Moses, excuse me, Joseph opened an eBay account, and he, he sold the myrrh to the highest bidder just so he could have a, a, you know, a nest egg when they got back from Egypt, right? Did you know we never hear again of gold, frankincense, or myrrh in Scripture? We don't know what, uh, what Jesus' family did with those gifts. But history and songs like We Three Kings lead us to believe that these gifts, at least spiritually, pointed us to God. I know you sang the song, but I want to look just a little bit deeper at those gifts, okay? First, we take a look at gold, and we're asking the question, what did Jesus do with these? Gold, tying in with the Exodus, it was one of the gifts given to the Israelites when they left, and as they were wandering around, one of the instructions that God gave the people was to build an Ark of a Covenant, a gold box where he would, where he would, his presence would come and rest, and he said, cover that box inside and out with gold. Exodus 25, 11. Overlay the ark inside and outside with pure gold all around it. Where'd they get the gold for this? I would say from the Egyptians. Probably the same gold. Now, much like the Ark of the Covenant, the gift of gold to Jesus, it very well could have been symbolic of God's presence in Jesus. The verse in the song that we sang talked about gold being a gift fit for a king. So when it was given by the wise men, it very well could have been pointing towards the kingship that Jesus would have. You know, Matthew 2, it, talks, it tells the wise men, it says they came and they asked, where's this newborn king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. You fast forward 33 and a half-ish years before Jesus was crucified, Pilate was interviewing him, and Pilate says in, I think it's Mark 15, he says, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. That must have affected Pilate because he wrote a sign that he hung above Jesus. Three different languages on that sign. John chapter 19 says, And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Maybe all this talk of kingship, maybe it stems from a gift that was given to Jesus when he was little. What about the frankincense? How did Jesus use that? What did the gift point to? Well, many scholars, and the song we sang, point to frankincense being an incense, an incense used in temple worship. It was something mixed with oil that would, use, that would be used to anoint the priests. It was part of the offerings that were given in times of thanksgiving and praise. In fact, here's, here's an example. In the very middle of the Exodus story that we've been talking about of how it's used, 
from the screen. Exodus chapter 30. Do I not have that on there? I, well, look at that. I'm going to have to go find it back here. Exodus chapter 30, verse 34 and 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather fragrant spices, resin, droplets, mollusks, and a galbanum, and mix these fragrant spices with pure frankincense. Mix them together using the usual techniques of the incense maker. Blend the spices together. Sprinkle them with salt to produce a pure and holy incense. In presenting incense and frankincense to Jesus, the, the wise men very well may have been pointing to Christ as being anointed as humanity's high priest. They could have been saying that his life would be poured out as an incense, acceptable to God, pure and holy, a gift that definitely points towards God. Now, finally, the myrrh. We could again point back to this being used in a mixture of anointing oil for just about everything in the tabernacle. Exodus 30, verses 22 and following share that. There's a lot of people that say myrrh was, was, a, was something that pointed to the fact of suffering, of bitterness, of affliction. I asked specifically for the worship team to sing that verse up there where it, it was mournful, it was sorrowful. Sometimes myrrh was mixed to make a bitter drink. Did you know that? You know, when Jesus was on the cross in both Mark and Matthew's account, it says that he was offered bitter gall. A lot of people believe that that drink had myrrh in it. Now, most people associate myrrh with the embalming, uh, an embalming spice. It would have been something that, that the, uh, the women who came to visit Jesus at the tomb in Mark 16, that they went out and, and bought on Saturday night. Um, Mark 16, verse 1 says that Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Salome went and bought spices. So a spice to embalm someone who had died. The baby Jesus was given myrrh as one of three gifts, maybe signifying that one day he would grow up and suffer bitterly, giving up his life for humanity. Myrrh was another gift that pointed towards God. So gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all three gifts to Jesus, all three that we could say ultimately were used to point people to God, because we can find no other indication that Jesus used these gifts selfishly. So gifts given and used by Jesus, gifts given and used to the Israelites. I come back to the question that I asked you to start this message. What will you use your gifts for? How will you use them this year? Two weeks from today, I'm guessing that a lot of you will get gifts. I don't know what you're getting. I don't know what I'm getting. But I want to ask the question, what I'm going to do with that? Will I use it selfishly or will I use it to point people to God? And I want to push even further than this. I want to push us beyond just the physical gifts you'll take from under a tree and unwrap. I want to ask us, what are you doing with the gifts God has already given you? What are you doing with the gifts God has already given you? Because he's given you gifts already. Okay? I'm pretty sure none of you have marched out of slavery in Egypt. Right? Can I get an amen to that? I'm pretty sure none of you have knocked on your neighbor's door and said, hey, can I have your best clothes and all your gold and all your silver? Right? If you have and they've given it to you, I want to be your neighbor. I know that God's given each of us gifts. Scripture tells us that. 
Romans 12, verse 6 says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. 1 Corinthians 12 says these gifts are given so that we can help each other. Gifts given to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. That's Ephesians 4.12. God gives gifts so that we will use them to serve one another. And ultimately, 1 Peter 4.11 says these gifts are given so that everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. It's possible. It's possible that with all the hoopla from Thanksgiving to Christmas, all these thoughts of gifts and what we're going to wrap and how we're, whether people are going to like them, it's possible we've forgotten what some of these gifts are about, the ones that the Apostle Paul has talked about and Peter talked about. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go super practical for a take-home point. Kids, I believe on your bulletin insert, on your kids' bulletin, the last question is something along the lines of which gift do you think you have? Okay? Adults, I want you to grab a little scribble note from the seat in front of you. Looks something like, let's see if I can get to it. Nope. It's going to be white and it's going to say scribble notes on it. Okay? Grab one of those, grab a pencil. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read these four passages. And I simply want you to listen. When you hear one of the gifts that you think, Perhaps God has given me that. Or maybe you know he's given you that gift. I just want you to write it down on that scribble note. Okay? You understand? These are gifts that God has already given the people in the church. Starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. As you heard that, do you think you might be an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a teacher, a pastor? Write it down if you think. 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and 11 God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Okay, two more gifts. Speaking. Or helping others. Do you have those gifts? Write it down if you do. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 11. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. And still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages or tongues, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So there's quite a few in that one, maybe six or seven possibilities in that one. Going to Romans chapter 12, 
in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. If you don't have something written down quite yet, all these texts, they're in your, your outline, in your bulletin, okay? Take them home, read them again. Ask God, God, what is it that you, what gift has you given, have you given me? So you should have something right, written down. Don't put it away quite yet, okay? Which of these gifts do you have? Which has God given you? We could spend weeks, maybe even months, looking at these different gifts. We could take tests. We could take inventories. We're not going to do that today, and that's not my purpose. My purpose is showing you these gifts this morning is to simply ask you, what are you doing with them, and what will you do with them? You have been given gifts by God. The people of Israel were given gifts in the story of the Exodus. They either used those gifts for their own purposes or for the glory of God. Jesus was given gifts in the Advent passage that we read. We know that those gifts ultimately pointed people to God. The early church was given gifts. The Apostle Paul and Peter wrote those. We just read them all. These gifts are still given today. So my question is, what will you do with those gifts? It could be as simple as a Garmin 4Runner 910XT and that sparking conversations with other people. But it could be something more. It could be you've been given the gift of service or mercy or encouragement or the ability to teach or lead or so many of the others that we read about. If our story is a continuation of the story of the people of God in the Exodus. If our story is simply another chapter in Exodus to Advent, if our story ties in to the story written of the early church and the story God continues to tell, which I would say it does, then the question has to be asked, what will we do with the gifts God has given us? So here's where we get practical. I'm helping with your Christmas shopping. Okay, I want you to fold that piece of paper up. Don't fold it too small and don't put it in your pocket because you'll forget about it. You'll wash it and then you'll never remember what you wrote down. Okay, fold it and put it in your Bible. When you get home, wrap it up. Wrap it in wrapping paper. Okay, put it in a stocking. Put it on a tree. Put it under the tree. Adults, if your kids are with you and they're struggling knowing which gift that, that they have, go back and read these texts with them. And then wrap theirs up too. And then on Christmas morning, let this be one of the gifts that you unwrap. And let it remind you that God's given you more than stuff, more than gold, silver, or clothing. He's given you gifts to point people to him. Christmas morning, unwrap this piece of paper and let it remind you. You'll have a choice. Will you use this gift selfishly? Or will you use it for the glory of God? Only you can decide that. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you that you have given each and every one of your children, 
Each and every one of the people called God's people, you, you, you've given them a gift. Lord, so often we struggle to know what that is. So often we struggle, even if we know what it is, to use it in a way that may point people to you. So not only, Lord, do we ask this morning that you would show us a gift that you have given us, but that you would also show us ways that we can use it, not selfishly, but ways that we can use it to point people towards a child king, towards a a, a king whose life was poured out for us, towards a king who suffered and died and yet raised, was raised and lives to this day. God, help us to use our gifts to point people towards a Jesus that is coming back again, a second advent, to claim his people as their own. Lord, I thank you for those gifts. And I pray that you will remind us in the next couple of weeks, especially on Christmas morning, of these gifts that you have given us. May we use them for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us.